everyone, it's Sarah Mason from the HMC Network, and this is Age of Distraction Part 5. I am sitting here with screenwriters Warren Lewis Afternoon. and Steve Gacho. And uh, would you like to say your credits, boys? Do we really have to? That's <laughs> what Google is for, isn't it? Um, probably best known for Spin City and Dead Like Me. Probably best known for a couple of grimy action movies, one of which is about Vikings. Would that be Thirteenth Warrior? Take that. Uh, that's Game of like Thrones. one of my favorite movies, by the way. And Black Rain. Yeah. No, I love Thirteenth Warrior. Yeah, Black Rain. I love watching Thirteenth Warrior, and I really feel like it was so before its time. It's if you watch. I mean, I love. It's so freaking cool. You miss the nerd movement, you know, because. Anyways, well, I don't want to get distracted here, but the point is I love here that now, movie. So, yeah. Yes, it's here now. So this is number five for us. Wow, that's pretty cool. We're, dedica- we're dedicated. <laughs> and life marches on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this episode is uh, about old school versus reality. Uh, and I'll elaborate on that by starting with the Academy's decision recently to not change the eligibility um, for Oscars, which means Netflix and Amazon can have a one-week theatrical release, be streaming, and still be eligible. Now, this is something that folks like Steven Spielberg have come out against. But to me, it's, it's a bigger issue about literally, you know, the changing of the guard. And I think it was kind of significant that they, si- that they decided on in favor with Netflix and Amazon. What do you guys think about it? Um, my initial take was uh, some cynicism at uh, Steven Spielberg's mm. um, sort of blasting the decision. And one, I felt that he was it was a little even though he did it under the guise of trying to protect the sanctity of the theatrical experience. They're still getting a theatrical experience, though. Look, no question. Um, what he wanted to do was protect his his movie. Yeah, <laughs> is uh, that what it, this is about? I, I think so. I, I think he, you know, when he makes and and we can argue um, the plus and minuses of a movie like The Post, which I very much did not like. It it felt like um, big studio nonsense that mm-hmm. amounted to nothing. I agree. Me too. And and he he makes those movies um, perhaps to tell a story, but you know that he thinks they're Oscar bait. Mm. And in fact, they are. And um, more cynically, you wonder, when was the last time Steven Spielberg went to see a movie in a big theater? It's I don't very, know. It's I a mean, very good point. He probably does. Well, may know. I'm sure he has a big theater in his house. Um, I, I bet it's <laughs> sweet. So there's, there's a tiny difference between That's theater in your house and standing in line for what I'm told is fifteen dollars to to see. What you're movie. told? Do you not go to the movies? I'd rather go to Devil's Island. <laughs> uh, I do occasionally, but uh, it's about the last at ArcLight. It's sixteen dollars in Los Angeles, but you can get tickets at AMC for twelve thirteen. The Look, well, well, you know. a part of what's at issue here 
is what that experience is now like for people. Right. And for me, it's mind-numbingly awful. It's thoroughly. Yeah. Un- it's thoroughly. It's unpleasant. very unpleasant yeah. these, to go to the theater. To go to the theater. Pe- okay. People are people are on their phones. Yes. They won't get off their phones. Uh, the noise um, is variable. Commercials. Um, Babies. We've, we've experienced he, he, that he, recently. Toddlers at absolutely. horror movies. The endless trailers. Uh, in uh, defense of the industry, I think. Is it, is it me? I don't, I don't know. I think Stephen represents Stephen. You know, there's a law, rule in show business from vaudeville that you can speak to anyone. You can address anyone by their first name, whether they're living or not, mm-hmm. whether you know them or not. I, th- I think Stephen represents a certain kind of old guard, the same old yeah. guard he bucked when he came in. Very nice. And and I understand his position completely. And part of me said, right on. And another part of me said, you're that guy behind the desk on Melrose and Formosa in 1926 mm. saying this sound thing will never catch on. Mm. This is the business that we're in and the technology always changes. Things always change and in another one of my hats I argue that con- content is controlled by how it's shown and not the other way around. People at home want to see their movies and it's a game changer and we can either do it or we can get left behind. Mm. Now Avengers just made 1.66 billion and climbing at, and climbing at the box office. Mm. So there's an appetite, at least for superhero movies. But is it only superhero movies that people will go to the theater for? For that kind of money, apparently. And again, as a guy who writes, has written, and still writing action movies, I get what the studios are doing. And then, what and are they doing? I, well, they have a brand. Marvel, DC, whatever, and they're selling their brand. Well, good for them. I would do it too if I were them. Do I wish it didn't happen? Yes. Honestly, yes. I I wish there was room for invention. I wish the $20 million movie was still a thing. Uh, It is on Netflix. That's my point. Game of Thrones, last episode of Game of Thrones, if the the estimates are accurate, and I kind of doubt that they are, that battle scene was the price of a medium budget movie five years ago. Yeah, it took 55 days to shoot. Okay. And it was like 15 million. million. To your larger point, which is, um, I think the, the notion of trying to create an event, uh, and if you're not part of the event, uh, then, you're, then you're out. Then you're out. You're not, you're not a cool kid or you're not a cool adult. Um, Are you saying Steven Spielberg's what side is he on of that? Is he a cool kid still, or is he no no longer a cool kid but wants to hold on to being a cool kid? I, I think it's the latter. Okay. I think he's a brand. No question. I'm being sarcastic, uh, cynical perhaps, but I think, you know, Steven Spielberg directs is something that you sell. And that's fine. I mean, still? Absolutely. Okay. Because, I mean, I, I, what of his films that aren't part of a big franchise have made a ton of money? Doesn't. It's a different kind of. Uh, there's only one kind of money, but it's a Recently. different, a different kind of audience. And he, he's working for the. I think what he thinks. I can't read his mind, but I think what he thinks is that he's working for the ages, and he's not working for the weakening, the opening gross of a. Of a, is he though? Because to your maybe, point, yeah. I think that w- with an example like the po- the post, and also I don't know if you guys saw Ready Player One. But mm. I hate to say it, but it was garbage. I mean, and first of all, the source material was basically fan art that people mythologized, you know, like, it, it, and it, but that movie was 
really bad. And it, it, it didn't, it, it was a real missed opportunity. It was schlocky. It was studio, it was everything that we hate about, you know, big studio movies not doing a good job with, a, with the story. And I, I think a guy like Steven Spielberg um, uh, is feeling his mortality. Mm. And it reminds me, I don't know if y'all remember this movie, Tender Mercies, 1983, mm. course, Robert Duvall. He won an Oscar he won, And someone at the beginning, he's, a, he's a, an old um, country western singer fallen on hard times. And someone sees him outside of like a Home Depot and comes up to him, a woman, says, didn't you used to be Max exactly. Sledge? Hmm. And I feel that Steven Spielberg feels, uh, look, I don't mean to speak for this guy, but didn't you used to be Steven Spielberg? And he's trying to remain relevant by making a movie like that, Ready Player One, and he cannot. So he reverts back to his bread and butter this sort of big movie it, uh, that announces at every turn I'm important, right. which is what the Post did, and um, and and no one cares. It's a changing of the guard, except the guard is different now. He is the institution, and the institution that he created, all due respect, has moved on. Here's a guy at the beginning of his career, very beginning of his career, redefined a certain kind of action movie. We, de we yeah. defined an entire genre, and um, he didn't coast on that. Mm. You know, he, he really no. didn't. He really didn't. No. He coasted. He made some. He's made some very, very quote unquote important films. No question about it. But this is one of those moments, and it happens in Hollywood all the time, mm. when the establishment decides they've moved on. Well, the legacy is still. I mean, you know, at Con Con Hall H, when he came out for the Ready Player One panel, everyone went out of their minds because. E.T., you know, Raiders, like, you know, Close Encounters, Jaws, like, he still has the legacy, but exactly, you're exactly right. And I just want to make one point about what you said about at every turn telling us the post was important. I really hate that about Oscar season. And I, and I feel like it was even elevated this year. I hate being told what movie I'm going to think is the best picture. And I feel like that's what they've done with the campaigns. Like, you're going to say that Roma's the best picture. And that was a Netflix right. film. You're going to say that... No question. Actually, you know the film that they tried to do it with, which was rejected, was um, a, a song... A, 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 a Star is Born. A Star is Born. Yeah. Like, every commercial for that was so smug and so arrogant, like... You will love this. This is the best picture Oscar. And you all think it. I'm, I'm, I'm really tired. I feel like part of what's happened in the changing of the guard is people taking back their opinions. Thank you very much. They forget who they're talking to. And it's a culture-wide phenomenon at the moment that a certain type of person completely, they're talking, in a, in a, they're talking to themselves in a very small group, and they forget it. The Academy Awards, to me, this year especially, full disclosure, I've watched one Academy Awards ceremony in my life hmm. because for two reasons. First of all, I've seen I've seen my X-rays and I know how long life is. It's not good. And the second reason is I don't care. I just don't. Good the, for you. the Academy Awards this year were like it was like a funeral for the establishment. Yeah, it felt like. Uh, pardon me for bringing Hitler into the conversation, but everybody does. It really was the bunker. 
it, it, mm. it was dancing at the bunker when the Russians are coming uh, because nobody cares. People said to me, because they know I'm a bit of a history buff, that we should bring the Academy Awards back to what they used to be. And the Academy Awards used to be the Roosevelt Hotel, a dinner party for the insiders, and then everybody goes home. That's not happening anymore. Now it's a television event. It's not a movie event. Well, on the heels of 50 other events. I mean, I think it, it's the same sort of out-of-touch thing that we all missed with, with how Trump got elected. You know, it's like this, you know, nobody, this whole of a ceremony every week and we're all supposed to tune in for every single one of them and be amazed by it. It's like the music industry just had the Billboard Music Awards. Isn't there a freaking music awards ceremony like every fucking night? Like it seems like it. And that's, you know, the music industry is a whole other story. They're like clinging on to dear life because they got nothing. But it, it, I think that's part of it. I think that was part of no, it, it's too. Absolutely. It's like, you're right. Nobody cared. Like, kids today, they don't get their content that way, so they're not watching TV. So you're dealing with an over-60 audience. And then I, the those over, of us here. The over-60 <laughs> over and, and the recently embalmed. The point, <laughs> the, the thing is, like, I kind of like this. I mean, the, the hippie rebel in me kind of likes that the fact that the audience has said, go to hell. Mm. And we're getting in our own way. Um, there's, some, there's something strong to be said about that, that they're not being hand-fed. And they, won't, they refused. Maybe they're sophisticated enough, and I think so. I think the American audience especially is sophisticated enough to say no thanks. Um, and that's why the Oscars are a matter of indifference to a lot of people. Well, and also that that these films that were popular got... I mean, Black Panther, Best Picture. I mean, come on. Like, it's a Marvel movie. And I, I think it was culturally very important, and that's why it was in there. But they, you know, the Green Book was a popular movie, and it got in there. I don't know if it should have been Best Picture. You know, I, I loved The Favorite. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, I loved a lot of films that didn't even get nominated. I loved The Sisters Brothers, you know? But like What are we really talking about? When are we talking about a, a best? Chain, are we talking about best picture? Really? Seriously? No, I don't know. I guess I mean, no. It is a change. I think it's all part of the changing of the guard conversation. Mm-hmm. And they're all afraid of um, of dying. And <laughs> thank you, Stephen. Well said. And they're desperate to to grab your attention, and they and they are continuing to figure out a way how to do it, mm-hmm. and. Obviously, the Avengers tells us that um, create this event, drum roll this event yeah. till pe- people are bleeding out their ears, and and then roll it out, and uh, it works. Um, it, it's it's a crowded, crowded environment, and and. With the exception of movies like that, people are increasingly unwilling to leave the comfort of their house where yeah. they can buy a, um, a 60-inch television for $500 that, that does the job quite nicely, and cell phones are off, and you can take a break to go pee. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could grab uh, certain people, certain people in our business by the ear and walk them into one of the classes I teach at a, an American university to show them their, their target demographic and what that target demographic thinks. What are your students saying? Well, like, did, did, or student, did they go see Avengers? I'm going to say, oh, I'm yeah. Gonna guess yes, uh, Well, that's, right? the, that's the thing. I always, you know, I, what do I have? I 
80 students this year or something like that? Mm -hmm. Four classes? And I always ask everybody at the beginning of the class, no matter what the subject is, even if it's biology, what did you watch this week? And it's amazing how quiet the room gets. Everybody watched Avengers, pretty mm. much. What about People, Thrones and uh, Thrones? Thrones was pop... This is interesting, because classes have personalities. Thrones was popular in one class, exactly the same subject, two hours later. Nobody. Really? But this is what we dreamed of a long, long time ago, called The Grateful Dead, if I may, thus dating myself. We dreamed of an era where people would be able to sit in their homes and choose their entertainment. Well, guess what? We didn't intend it for this to happen, but we got exactly what we wanted. Is it a nightmare? For some people, it is. As Stephen said, there are people looking at their careers and looking at their medium and their what they've built towards and their talent, God bless them, and saying, you know what? It's not us anymore. Not only is it not us anymore, it's not the people we thought it would be anymore. It's not the next generation of directors, really. You know, it's yeah. it, it's it's something else entirely. I, I think we need to respect it. My students come in two flavors, as I said. People that are movie people and people that aren't. The people that aren't movie people have no idea about movies. They don't know where they come from. They don't know where they're going. But many of them are right here with, uh, today. They're right here today. And the movie people are there, too. By that, I mean they are at the cutting edge of what we're talking about. They're watching those movies. There's... Um, this other phenomena, and, and we don't have to talk about this, but it, it, it's something I experienced this, this weekend, was with Thrones and Avenger, um, social media just flared us, mm. right? Twitter and Instagram just blew up with memes and comments and right. chatter. And so these, these kids who like to watch television and big event movies, but also love social media. You can't do one without the other. Right. Like you can't go not see Avenger and then go check out Twitter because it's going to all Instagram. be ruined for you. You have to, and it, it's worked out nicely for the media companies because uh, you have to get to it or someone's going to tell you what happened. Right. And and part of the joy, certainly, of a, a television show uh, like Game of Thrones are are the reveals. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't imagine um, having known firsthand um, before I watched it that uh, Cersei killed. Oh wait, that's not what happened. Thanks. <laughs> Careful. Careful. That's a joke. Spoiler. The, 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 the social, social media and and our entertainment are so linked right now, it's kind of impossible to, to tell them apart. Yeah, that's true. Because um, I was watching Game of Thrones, and, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, and but I'm not immune. Yeah. I'm absolutely not immune. And our challenge is bigger than it ever was, because now, we, the challenge used to be, are, the, are, are our customers going to the theater this weekend? Now the challenge is, our customers are watching our shows, except they're also watching Twitter, and they're also watching... Facebook, and they're also, you know, there's a kitchen down the hall, and all the other distractions, the distraction level is higher, so our standard must be higher, I guess, or at least we have to show them a brand. I, I got to tell you, I don't know if you guys saw Avengers. Mm -mm. No. It stinks. No. Yes. Three hours. You're going to get a rock through the window. I, I, we did a whole episode uh, on the Herald and Modcast about this. It's a very unpopular position. But we talked a lot about how Rotten Tomatoes is bullshit. 
Right. Oh, and, yeah. and also just the, the genius of the Marvel blueprint. They started with a couple good movies. Iron Man 1 was a good movie. Badass. John Favreau directed it. Downey Jr. could not get so hired to charming. save his so life, funny. but he convinced them to hire him at the time, you know. And it, he was perfect for it. And it's and then they wove this whole universe with characters that no one gave a fuck about except for Spider-Man, who they had to borrow from Sony. Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman are the ones that give people chills. Marvel yeah. didn't have one that stood out, but collectively and building them the way they did was genius. And so now you've got this whole group of fans that started when they were 10 that are now 21, and they're, they've got to go see this. Right. That's and they're point. convinced that they're all good. Do, do you think they want to go see it because they want to be part of the conversation, or they're yes. actually interested in the Both. Piece? But I do, and I think that's like I thought the first Guardians was good. I thought, um, you know, a couple of them I thought were good, but I think they all are a standard blueprint for the most part, except for the first Iron Man, which I thought was awesome. And this one was really disappointing to me because it relied on a lot of cheap bullshit instead of. And but they didn't matter because they're gonna get ninety something on Rotten Tomatoes because that's the way it is for especially for Disney. Right. And they're going to get people to go and they're gonna make this much money. And it just makes me wonder: Does the quality even matter anymore in terms of like do people even care about that? You know, there's. Did you guys happen to see um, Emilio Estevez's film The Public? Or not. hear about it? Did I you? Did not. He, you know, he's an interesting guy because he was a big Hollywood guy in the eighties. He was a big actor, and then he got the you know the Mighty Duck movies, and then he sort of like left all that to do these really sort of passion projects. And this is about uh, the public library and how it's a safe haven for people. And there's a there's a protest there by like a group of homeless people are being forced out, and they take over the library. But it's interesting to see someone like that whose family is part of the you know establishment who was so part of it to start making these like choices that are so outside the envelope of all of this. And I do think there are people who are doing that. But is is that getting across? Do people care? I, I, I wonder. I wonder. I I read a review um, maybe last week last weekend for uh, a new picture called Her Smells. Her oh, yeah. I have mm. heard of that. Um, Her Smell? Mm. Am I getting this right? I think you're it's right. It's Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. As a... I think that's right. Very acidic punk rocker. Oh, yeah. And um, Joe Morgenstern in the Wall Street Journal lost his mind. Mm. And maybe so did uh, the New York Times. And she's... An extraordinary actress, um, and instead of appearing, I'm sure she saw it after and appearing in, you know, like I just saw a movie advertised Diane Keaton as an aging cheerleader right. called Palms. <laughs> instead of appearing <laughs> in Palms for a paycheck, she's again she's made some dough. I don't know if Emilio Estevez has made some dough. Did, okay. So they have the luxury. Of, well, of course, but, yeah. No, but, I think he's. 
making, I think he's actually making tough choices himself because I don't think he's made a ton of but dough in a long time. I also watched, you know, Jason Bateman doing a commercial the other day for CarMax. It was like a Super Bowl commercial, yeah. It, and and so these people have money. It's really lovely when they lend their talent and clout to something that matters yeah. to, to a real piece of art. Yeah. And um, I just always applaud it. I don't know whether these movies are getting seen. That's an interesting question because in order to get that content, you have to look for it. And that puts the responsibility, once again, on the audience. You can sell all day long. Uh, Emilio Estevez in or directed by is not going to open big. People who read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and people who care about motion pictures are going to see that movie. Um, the studios are not in that business. Right. They're in, a, they're in an entirely different... Except on the distribution end, which sometimes feels like poverty row to me. They're just not in that business anymore. And I, I'm wondering what business is going to replace them. Because is it Netflix? Well... Yeah, I mean, people can find these things on Amazon and Netflix. But, That's the thing. There's more opportunity to find them that, than there was. Good news, bad news. That puts, It's the same thing. That puts the responsibility on the audience, which is not the form of business that people have been talking about for the last hundred years. You mean versus this, Com- the, because of, by virtue of the fact that it used to be these studio, studios was just advertise everything and that's how we knew? Versus coming soon to a theater near you. Coming, Didn't we always the- have that though? I mean, there were always like, we were always having to find the independent films at, at the smaller theaters in, amidst. In, in my salad days, the question was, have you seen the, so- have you seen the foreign movie? Yeah. Yeah. Now the question is, have you seen that movie? The right. small yeah. movie, but okay. you have to. Go. But we had things like, you know, revival houses. Now the revival houses, and you, hopefully, in I Amazon. mean, how did you learn about movies that you wanted to see? I learned them about them in maybe three ways. One was on Thursday night when they started mm-hmm. to pump out the ads um, on the Thursday night shows, yeah. coming to a select theater near you. Right. I can only pray your theater's been selected. Right. <laughs> uh, and of course in LA or New York, these big ass billboards. Right. I don't know what's happening in St. Louis, if those billboards are I there. don't think so. And um, and then word of mouth. I think it's different. It was different for me a little bit because we were dweebs. And we were film school dweebs before we were, before film school, so people were saying, "Have you seen Visconti?" or "Have you seen?" And that's still the strongest way to sell a movie, especially on Netflix and Amazon. The word, word of, mouth, of mouth. Well, the word of mouth that just happened in this room a second ago. Yeah, I just told you guys about a film that you'd never and, heard of. And Stephen just told you might told check it out, it. and you just told I us. I want to go see. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but that's. I suspect more people are going to hear about it on this podcast. And her smell. Yeah. Yeah. With Elizabeth Moss. We right. Just, we just saw it happen. Yeah, and that's that's what sells movies. And I I find myself in this particular conversation oddly being a defender of the studios, and I'm not. I'm not their detractor either. Particularly, I don't like the way they're doing business these days. I think it's hurting our medium and hurting. Pardon me, pardon me for using the A word. Moving our, uh, damaging our art even. But we have to respect what the audience wants, and even if it means telling them what they want. Well. I have a slight disagreement. I think people don't know what they want until mm. you give it to them, which was sort of Steve Jobs 
you know, the way he, point. he mm. and you know these these little spectacular movies like uh, you can disagree with me about the movie, but I loved it. Her, like, how does a movie like her get made? Mm. And it's because Spike Jones has a vision, and then the clout, and then the studio Annapurna to back him. There's that. And uh, but who's who's going to walk into a room and pitch? Well, uh, he falls in love with an operating system. Um, Those days are. <laughs> but her, does her get made today? I mean, like that wasn't that long ago, and it's an both, Oscar winner. Uh, just for the record, because this is a, a talking medium, both Warner and I shrugged. Her does get made. It just doesn't get made by. And it doesn't Turner. get. It, yeah, right. It, it doesn't get made by Sony, and it doesn't get made by what's the dregs of Warner Brothers. Pardon me for saying that. It it, it might well get made by Amazon. Yeah, but see, the problem with the Netflix and the Amazons, too... We're both nodding. Right yeah, now. they're both nodding. Uh, like, I, I'm going to use the public again, because I really like this film, and I, I, I really like what he's done with his career. It's really fascinating. Like, just, it's very gutsy, and I think he's taking on some really interesting subjects. That, you know, for whatever reasons, he's not going to have the arm of the PR arm to push that into... Oscar contention, you know, even if he released it in September, November, December. And how that gets determined, you know, like Amazon and Netflix have the power to do that. Like, there's a lot of films this year that were completely silenced by any awards, you know. And one in particular, like I said, I said before, The Sisters Brothers, which is a beautiful film. Um, did you guys happen to see that? We did not. I don't mean to speak for you, one. Stephen's my attorney in these matters. It it is a, re, it's you know it's Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley. Mm, oh my god! And okay. um, Jake right. Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed. Wow! And um, the sisters brothers. The sisters brothers. They're two bounty hunters in in the, old no spoilers in nineteenth century late eighteen hundreds uh, Oregon. Oh my god! Okay. Chasing after um, a a gold rush guy. It, it's it's a, a beautiful Can't film. Wait. It's a Italian director, a French director, Italian cinematographer. Like it's they shot it in Romania. There's so many people that are involved with this. Like, where was that film? You know, why isn't anyone talking about that? But like, you know, like, how do we find you, you, this stuff? You, you know how this happens. At the end of the day, they take a look um, at their product, at their library, what they've accumulated, and they say. Um, this is Oscar bait. And, and this could have been, but it, don't you think it's timing too sometimes? Like some stuff you're like, that happened to hit. It yeah. wouldn't have. Look, uh, the timing of a release is everything. Yeah. What, what is what is the point again? What, what, why are we fighting? Because, uh, some, how, because no, some movies uh, that are worth the public's view um, just don't well, get... To them, because of because the machine has made a decision right. not to get it. To Let them. me throw a question to folks: Do you think that having an Academy Award sticker—what's the word I want? A laurel, I guess. Yeah. An Academy Award laurel on your on your commercial sales movies to, to the audience. Mm. I mean, look. Take a look at the Tony announcements this week, and 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 correct me if I'm wrong. 
but it's hard to get people to pony up for a play. They wait for these nominations, mm-hmm. and so they they throw those stickers out pretty fast, nominated for nine Tonys, and invariably you read about a play that that uh, was overlooked or not nominated, and it closes. Yeah. And uh, people, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this word correctly, the imprimatur of those who are in the know. As much as critics are vilified uh, and the intelligentsia um, uh, dismissed, um, people want to be told what's great. But does it work? I think so. Specifically the Academy Awards. Well, Green Book was an ABC after-school special Mm. that's now grossed $270 million worldwide. So I'm going to say yeah. That's as much proof as anyone needs I think it was better than that. I'm being um, shot in Louisiana. To, to quote uh, <laughs> William Barr, snitty. <laughs> um, I think it was a pretty good movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, the I performances wanna, were good. I want to take this is a perfect segue into a point I wanted to talk about later. But since you brought up Broadway, I want to talk about it now. It, in as it relates to sourcing content, there are so many Broadway musicals that are sourced from movies. There's a, now there's a Beetlejuice, and there's they just announced that Sideways is going to become a musical. I literally went I went on this hunting expedition of all the the movies. Listen to listen to some of these, okay? Uh, Spam a lot, um, Shrek, Sister Act, A Christmas Story, Carrie, Evil Dead. These are all musicals that were movies. Dave, uh, all the Disney's, you know, obviously the producers, Bridget Jones, Back to the Future, Footloose. Cruel Intentions, Amelie, Sunset Boulevard, of course. The Bridges of Madison County was a musical. I mean, Big Fish, Wasn't Billy Elliot, Clueless. Like, yeah. these are all... M- mean Girls. Mean Girls. No, Clueless too. Wow. Mean Girls, yes, also. But these are... Is something going on with, you know, is this always been the case? It's like, why are, is everything being sourced from... Is it is it because no one's af- everyone's afraid to do cr- new creative content? It went the other way, traditionally. Mm, right. Traditionally, it was plays. It did. Yeah, it was plays that became Funny. movies. Not the, well, it's true. You know, the guy who taught me... My first screenwriting teacher in the world was an old man who wrote to jazz singer. Mm. Mm. And, really? Yeah. And uh, he was a brilliant man, too. But that's how plays happened. And it was an interesting education... I've, I'm embarrassed to say I've forgotten her name, and I will remember it at 2 o'clock in the morning and call you immediately. There's <laughs> a, a, a woman with an incredible amount of screenplays in the 30s, and that's how she got her start, was reading and attending Broadway plays. I'm so embarrassed. Reading and attending Broadway plays and then pushing them on, in this case, to Jack Warner. Hmm. Uh, the fact that it's going the other way, I have a cynical viewpoint on that. I'm not sure I'm qualified. My cynical viewpoint is you've seen the movie, now have the experience. It's like, a, it's like an amusement park ride or a band. Yeah, a brand, right? It is about the experience. We're yeah. living in a, everyone wants an experience. That is, that's it. That's it. But isn't it interesting that I think, I mean, one man's opinion, I'm ready to be wrong in a second, that in many ways, that experience is like, a, is like an amusement park ride because the same people own the material that start rides at Universal and why not go to Broadway? We own the material. Is that cynical or is... No. I mean, look, they have their library... And um, they're happy. There's a certain kind of 
a cynical symbiosis between um, Broadway and Hollywood now. Uh, they know that they um, are much more likely to open a straight play if, um, let's say, um, Chris Rock, sure, <laughs> who did uh, The Motherfucker in the Hat, that's actually the name of the play, um, a couple seasons ago. And I believe the same sort of theory attends to these musicals. If you go to the half-off ticket booth on Broadway and 48th, and you see all these people who have flooded into New York to go see New York and want to have the experience mm. of a Broadway musical, and they're looking at titles mm. up on that marquee mm -hmm. up there at that booth, on, um, and they're seeing Dear Evan Hansen. Mm. They don't know what Dear Evan Hansen is, but they remember Sister Act. Yeah. And they remember um, Mean Jesus. Girls. And so um, I think producers are cynical enough to say the money. they're going to go see Beetlejuice, yeah. the musical. I, I know it's off, this might be off topic. One of the things that's happened on Broadway lately that got my attention was the residency, the notion of an artist's residency. In uh, Vegas? And, no, on Broadway. Oh. Uh, Springsteen did it. Few other people. Oh, that's right. But that came from Vegas, didn't but if it? You, that, well, that's my. But the point is, Bruce showed up, and it's a, it's a game changer. Speaking of brands, where you can go, buy a ticket to a not just a Broadway show, but your star's residency. Yeah, mm. that says a lot about show business. Yeah, that's show business, not from Hollywood. That's, and, it is from Las Vegas. And if you're an artist, and you're, uh, and you you've already had a sort of legendary career. Um, and it gives you the ability to tell your story in a different medium, yeah. like Billy Crystal did with Sundays with My Father. Mm. And, um, or um, I forgot the woman from Saturday Night Live. Uh, she played Pat. Oh, oh yeah. uh, Julia Sweeney. Yeah, she yeah. did. She had a lovely one woman yeah, show. Yeah, she did. It just, you know, um, I mean, let's not. God said, ha? Was that it? Yeah, that's yeah. It. you. And it was lovely. Well, so, isn't, yeah. isn't this interesting? that we've gone from choosing a, uh, not having the theater experience to having the theater experience in this conversation. You're right. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's kind of a remarkable trend. But it's a lot of money to shell out for a family who's going to New York and they want to be able to come back and say they went to see a musical or a play and, uh, and they're more likely to sh shell out to see the Yankees Mm -hmm. That means coming uh, to the Bronx, and, and 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 Mean Girls feels more like the Yankees. Yeah, right. sure, that's a good point. Than, than let's yeah, say when point. my when people I know come to New York, they always ask me what show to see, which is like the I'm like the worst person in right. the world to ask, but that's what they're there for. Good for them. Yeah. So is Broadway? I'm, I'm going to get hate mail for this, but has Broadway become more like Vegas? Because you know, I remember back in the day, Vegas. And I'm not going as far back as the Bugsy Seagull days, but like just when Cirque du Soleil transformed Vegas, because it did, it, it, it transformed it into shows that had critical meaning and people, you know, were proud of. And then that became, you know, then everything started popping up. But remember what Vegas was before mm. it was like, 
you know, it was, you Lo- know. Lounge acts. Right. Yeah. It was fun lounge acts, you know. Um, uh, Wayne Newton. <laughs> a well-known, but, nationally known stand-up comics. Uh, and God bless them, and I'm not kidding, uh, no kidding shows. With like showgirls and all that stuff. Right. I mean, that's show business. It's awesome. Yeah. When the Sting's got a residency at Caesars now. I mean, I in my in the eighties when I was a police fan, diehard, in my wildest dreams, I could never have imagined Sting doing a residency in Vegas. A generation. I hate to say this, but a generation has come and gone since then. <laughs> Several. And, and in my case, a generation has come and gone and come and gone <laughs> since I saw Tony Bennett in Las Vegas. And, and the best seats, the best seats in the house for tipping the guy what nothing. Now that very stage is occupied by uh, mm. some by Sting, I believe at the Caesar. Well, I guess what my point is that Vegas got credibility when it didn't have it, and it seems as though Broadway's sort of taking from their model, oddly enough. Or am I completely off base with that? Look, there. Um it's some some new plays and and some new musicals are flourishing, but you know one of the hottest tickets on Broadway now is To Kill a Mockingbird, That's right? True. And it's able to not only say on the marquee Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird by Aaron Sorkin, mm. who is a known commodity, and it's 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 doing very well, right. even though he was overlooked for. Um, Best play, and um, why is that? Why was he overlooked? Yeah. I have a theory. I think yours is probably more valid. So. No, come. I think it's absolute snobbery. I, I think it's snobbery. It sounds like the ones who are overlooked uh, got the snob treatment. A TV I mean, writer, Daniel Radcliffe, has never been nominated, and he's been really uh, busting his ass on Broadway for a long time now. He does fun work. But, but and he does, and that's just, to me that's snobbery, you know. A you're TV the writer on our kid. street, really? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but apparently, it's a, a beautiful play, and well, I'm not too worried about where he's going. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> no benefits for him. He's I want to switch gears completely and talk about uh, Disney's streaming service, um, Twenty TV, Twentieth TV. I think it is. Mm. Um, they are Dan Fogelman, This Is Us creator, yep. just signed a $125 million deal with them. Now, you keep I mean, hearing. H- how many times can this guy try to make us cry? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bulletproof. But I mean, a lot of people are signing on with them. But then again, a lot of people are signing on with Netflix. You know, what's his name uh, who created um, American Horror Story? Um,. Ryan. Ryan, yes. And also Glee creator. He's the What's wrong with us? Uh, he he signed a huge deal with Netflix a while back. Shonda. And then Shonda did. And then we've got Apple streaming. And they've got Oprah and Prince Harry and Reese Witherspoon. This is the sound like NBC. You know, it really is starting to look like a, like a network lineup. And uh, that's... But, I mean, what's happening here? Because they, they're... And meanwhile, CBS announced that they didn't hit their revenue projections by 140 million. Although they did announce that streaming bundles for advertising were up, particularly their bundle with Showtime. Mm. 
And I look at all these things and it's like, so what, what are the NBCs going to do now? What, I mean, they're NBC Universal, so I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, all of them are owned by larger conglomerates. But who's going to win that war with, you know, Disney, Netflix, Amazon, everybody like spending all this money on getting, con- I mean, clearly they believe content is king still. And the key to everything. Now, Disney owns all the marbles for the most part. Now Dis- they own Disney Fox has advantages too. that uh, uh, no, one, no one else has. Right. Well, look, they're, they're also spending a lot of money on names. And um, I have enjoyed This Is Us. Um, I don't know what else um, he's going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think they're paying for the ability to say from the creator of this is us okay and from oprah and from the creator of gray's anatomy yep and um you know again uh they are assuming that there is a lemming-like quality to people and a kind of laziness once people sort of sit down in front of the TV and grab the remote and reflexively turn on Netflix and maybe someone says, well, let's try that other service and Mm -hmm. see what they have. We've been on, we've been rolling through Netflix, the same crap. So should they be worried, do you think? Because they're going to cost more. They keep, they, I mean, Netflix has no other, you know, Revenue stream. So they, that's who they are. Uh, that's what I wonder with them. Is like they keep spending all this money. They're huge. You know, the investors love them, so they just keep throwing. Yeah. But where's it going to go? Because they don't. They have no advertising model. They're going to have to go there. Don't Hopefully, you think? I think what they're thinking is our original content will get us over the top, and that that's going to take some work. We'll, well, they've got so original. much now, and they're going to have to start canceling yeah. the shit that doesn't work. And like, they are. They are. Like they Santa are. Anita Diet just got Santa canceled. Clarita Santa Diet. Clarita, whatever. See, I don't even know the name. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, they're doing that. Because at first they were like, did you the South Park did a really funny episode on it? Oh, where yeah. they just had someone answering the phone going, yeah, it will take, just they take anything. Like so, literally, you know, any, they'd call up and pitch, you know, anything. Netflix, you're green lighted. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it, I, I, Disney has such admirable advantages. I mean, you remember when Mr. Eisner discovered their vault? Yes. A hundred years ago when, it, yeah. when when the studio was broke. You ever been on Disney? I'm sure you've been on the Disney lot back then when everybody was still walking around in those jumpsuits with a name tag. Hi, I'm Barney. <laughs> and, it was, and Mr. Eisner came in and um, said, you know what? There's a couple generations yet to be born who have not seen Alice in Wonderland yet, and we're going to sell it again and again and again. Not just once, but to people that haven't been born yet four generations down the road. That's a smart thing to do. I don't know who's doing that now. Only Disney mm-hmm. can do that. Yeah, only uh, they can do there's, that. There's a couple of brands that'll carry over. Um, Star Wars is getting tired. Oh, my God. I, they ruined Star Wars for me, frankly. Completely ruined it. Really? You had to... That was a trigger for her. Didn't you know that? <laughs> Well, I was a Star Wars kid. I understand. Well, you know, I got a room. I got a room full of. I got four rooms full of Star Wars people every day, and they're just saying, "No, thank you." Well, look to go back to your original question is um, it's sort of like the presidential race. Mm. It's like Biden at thirty eight percent, Bernie, you know, at thirty percent. Again, it's sort of name. I know. Well, let's not get Bernie's like twelve percent. 
No, I mean, it's not a political... <laughs> I'm not making a political <laughs> statement. What, I'm making an overkill statement. Is, is name recognition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And to go back to your library, and um, they're talking about rebooting The Nanny now. What? Yeah. <laughs> With who? Because, like, her voice is the whole thing. It's Woody Harrelson. So it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Woody Harrelson's awesome. It's The Nanny starring Josh Brolin. I no, no it's, it's, it's her. It's with friends. What? Yeah. Now she's oh, the mo- now the, she's the, the mom. same thing that they've been doing, like but the Will and Grace, it's like the Murphy, Murphy Brown, Brown, Will and Grace, Boo, Boo, Boo is right. Yeah. But they're they're the networks are freaking out, and they're praying that someone says, "Oh, let's see what happened to her." And watch it and hope that the jokes are funny. Can't they just try to evolve instead? What, I mean, is, the, what is this evolve thing? Well, their whole, the three camera, the, the, that model is gone, you know? But they're still doing it. Someone told me, and you know this, you guys know this. Someone told me, an actor who said he was out for pilot season said that it was literally all the stuff of yesteryear. that, And it was garbage. I was like, oh, that's great. Well, that's how, <laughs> that's how our business has always changed. I hate to come back to it, but again and again and again, our business has done this again and again. I'm not kidding. Not since sound, but since before sound, people have just worn out their welcome and had to go on to something else. And that's, that's what's happening, I guess. And I, I'm not a big network consumer, but that's what it feels like happening in networks right now. Is just, so are they dying? Is it the end of networks? What, what's going to happen? They're not, if, if history is any indication, they're not going to die. But they're, they're too they're late. Gonna, they're going to have to they're gonna catch have to, up. No, catching up isn't an issue. They're going to have to alter their mission to serve the audience that they have now. That's that's what they can do, I guess. But it, their audience is old. Like so, for example, go. their audience is old and it's less affluent, mm. which is a problem for the models. The model is to sell product, right? And so you're getting. Um, you, yeah, there are people who are still watching Law & Order SVU. Um, me too. Warren For the just, record, Warren raised his hand. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think they have one thing that they can do. I don't want to put any ideas in people's heads. I think if they return to their roots, they might just find an audience, and that is, got to go live. We're in, mm. every, we're in every television in America. You're still only going to get old people. I understand that, but the point it doesn't, co- it doesn't cost as much to go live as it and does. theater to- majors. <laughs> well, they shouldn't be allowed to own televisions or have sharp objects. I mean, those but, uh, live musicals they do do well. That those have done well. But this brings me to another segue. Thank you, thank which you is niche content. Um, Fosse Verdon has done extremely well. Did now well with it's me. on basic cable. I love it. Not network, but um, yeah, it did well with me too. Um, and also things like uh, the Richard Madden, you know, Rob Stark bodyguard yeah that's on netflix but like those it seems like there's an opportunity for niche content and for carving out you know finding that you you know like i posted something on instagram that got crazy numbers that i've never gotten before and it was about miss fisher murder mysteries huh franny fisher who do you know that series Mm. it's an australian tv series starring essie davis who briefly was in game of thrones as the the one who played Cersei in the play years back. Oh, sure. Yeah. She was true. She's a great, and she was in the Babadook. She's a great Australian actress. 
And it's set in the 20s, and she's this female detective with unbelievable wardrobe and chutzpah, and it has a huge audience. And they are now have released, they're doing a, a movie version of it because the series ended. And it was funded by a Kickstarter campaign, hmm. and it broke every Kickstarter record. And that, I've never gotten so much social media attention. Now, that was in the midst of all my Game of Thrones yeah, postings yeah. and all my Avengers postings. But none of those got any traction. But this got so much traction. And it, it real I realized the same thing with Fosse Verdon. In the middle of all this stuff where there's a there's an audience there of people who don't want to see Avengers and don't want to see Game of Thrones, they do want to learn about Bob Fosse and my wife's addicted to the Australian show. My wife is a complete Really? Show. Oh yeah. Well, I think look, there's the big event stuff. There's the, um, the, the famous um, uh, piece of material that they're rebooting or making. And then there the rank-and-file writers like Warren and I who are uh, trying to write and trying to sell shows um, that are good, um, if noisy. <laughs> and you... What you, do you mean? Meaning... It, it, it's got to have um, a particular conceit. It has to have a hook. It has to be different. It has to be a little sensational. You have to come in to borrow Warren, Warren's military phrases, guns blazing. Mm. And it's a Western phrase, but okay. It's a Western phrase. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and I say this to young writers all the time, uh, s- something big needs to happen in mm. the first three pages because... Um, these studio executives want nothing more than to see the pile of scripts next to their bed get lower. Mm. And if they can put it down mm. in three pages... Three. Got, got it. it. used to be no, no, no. 20. You have three pages. Three pages. Yeah. Really? And and so wow. don't F that's around. That's sad. And, and, uh, and that's how I write. And, 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 and I don't say that dismissively. Um... um, um shit needs to happen mm. and so it has to be compelling uh, from the beginning and um, and I think that's required writers uh, to uh, to get out of the kitchen mm-hmm. and to get out of the coffee shop well said and figure out um, how do I how do I get in how do I get on Netflix how do I grab their viewers by the lapel mm. when um, you know it's easy enough for Oprah I'm not nice. Oprah uh, but but I'm really talented, and so uh, you have to be talented, but you have to come in blazing. Wow! And well, and, and and by the way, mm, some of that um, generates some really good stuff, mm. and it has for me. I used to write, you know, stuff that was a little more sedate, and uh, you just don't have that luxury anymore. Mm. There's there's just no room for navel gazing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about the attention span of the audience and the executive yeah. and all the choices that they... The audience is armed with the most destructive device potentially in the history of uh, show business, and that's the remote. Hmm. That's all we got. I mean, it's more destructive than anything we've ever got is that well, little button that's... Well, smartphone. That little button, yeah, there's that, but that little button that says next is like that, that gives you three pages to get their attention, if that... But that could um, go back to when did we get remotes in the eighties, the seventies? 
I remember when Roe. But hell, but he's right, and it's not when we got it; it's our willingness never to let go of uh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's and a good point. That's a really interesting physical point. Literally, I know it's I won't in, let go of it. Yeah. And 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 everybody, yeah. where's your phone? Not it's too far mine's away. Right here. Mine's in my pocket. Yeah, mine, mine's right. So yeah, yeah. there's just uh, the world is waiting uh, for uh, for you to be distracted to come back to your lovely um, title for this series. And so it's your job to make sure that they cannot look away. Mm. So. Well, isn't it amazing when that happens? It's the best. I mean, and that's oh, what, yeah. that is what to me is so cool in this age of distraction is that there is content out there that is making us do that. There's so much good stuff. We just experienced a phenomenon called Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, you know, for a character like me to be a, not just an addict, but I'm reading the fan magazines. Awesome. <laughs> I could tell you where Amelia Clark's, what, what she's wearing to the, it, that's, a, that's a big deal. It really is a big deal. That's, that's a crossover. That's a multi-generational crossover. That's got everything. It, 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 you know, breaks genres. My mom watched it. She's 91. My mom watched it. She's been dead for 10 years. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson that's watches it, and he's been dead for hundreds of years. <laughs> It's an, it's an amazing thing. Oh, Lord. Uh, she would have liked it. <laughs> did you guys want to talk about your labor, your writer's labor issues? Uh, uh, yeah, well. Yeah, yeah let's I, talk I, about it a little bit. I got something to say if you want. We just talked about it a sure. second. Sure, do we need to set it up and tell people what's yeah, happening? Yeah, set it up. Uh, I think you should set it up. So, um, there's a labor action taking place right now between the writers and their agents and the Writers Guild. Um, is angry that the uh, the big four agencies have made a ton of money, so-called packaging shows, which means that agencies basically take part of a show's budget and forego forego the normal ten percent that they take of a writer's fee, and in so doing. There's an inherent conflict of interest that they're not really, they're no longer representing the, the client, mm. their, uh, their writer, but they're really representing their own interest as money makers. Which might be a breach not only of civil law, but arguably, it's against the law, among other things. So California. the writers are pissed off. The Writers Guild has now sent down an edict, which has taken place, where we are required to fire our agents. And almost wow. all of us have, in fact, fired our agents. You're kidding. No. So what does that mean? It's terrible. I, I, I don't have an agent at a time where I really want to have an agent. Will you go back to that same one, you I, think? I will, but it, this thing is looking like a protracted dispute. No one's backing down. The agencies have a ton of money. They don't give a shit. Yeah. They can weather this storm. Clearly, they were in another Boo. business, and they, yeah, and they and their business is doing just fine. Yeah. And I don't want to get myself in trouble, but I'm very disappointed that this is happening. So am I. It sounds a lot like politics right now. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it sounds injustice. It, it sounds it sounds exactly like it politics sounds like bar. Well, <laughs> um, I think at, at at the head of the Writers Guild are a lot of writers who are sitting in really fat overall deals not too worried about losing their agents at this time where a lot of us uh, just want to write and work 
and I don't begrudge um, the fact that agents have figured out a way to make a little more money. I, you know, it's it's hard to. Uh, I do. They make a lot of money well, already. Well, you know, there's no regulation about it. People make we all as, make a lot of money. People make already. people make as much money as they, people make as much money as they want. For me, my concern is, I don't. I'll go on the record. I'm, I'm fine. That uh, by the way. If the guild is listening, I fired my agent. If the guild is listening, I fired my agent. So everyone has to do that. I shot him in the head twice. (laughs) He's in the trunk of my car wrapped in Clorox. What if you don't do that? What if you're a WGA Um, member? The guild has intimated that they're going to threaten. It's a guild. It's a union. Yeah. So if you're not part of the guild, you're against the guild. And they threaten some kind of disciplinary action. But they won't. Dump you. I don't think so. Okay. That would be that'd be interesting to take to court. Uh, I think this benefits I, on both sides, without getting myself in too much trouble. On both sides of the argument, it benefits only a handful of people. So how's it going to resolve? Um, I'm very concerned that this is going to be uh, the Battle of Vicksburg. They're just going to wait this thing out on both sides. I don't think. I'm so impressed that you said that. About that. Um, and I think I think some people are going to get hurt, and mm. uh, and I'm worried about it. I don't. And the management business will change. That's right. Really? Uh, yeah, because managers aren't like I have a manager, and so he's going to submit me. And um, uh, so um, you know, we'll see. But it's very bad news for young writers yeah, now who are trying to get into the business. Mm. This is a terrible time um, for writers. Writers were always shit on. <laughs> it's like that old joke. Uh, don't at me if you're in the Me Too crowd. Um, how dumb was the blonde? Uh, she slept with the writer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old joke. Yeah, it is. I remember that joke when I moved It's here. an interesting time. To- again, it's, a, it's, an- <laughs> it's another game changer because look how much is changing. The way we, the way we distribute our product. Now the way we sell our product to the business is changing. It's a remarkable thing to see. I'd rather not be present for it. but. Uh. So how is that going to affect, you know, just bringing it back to the broader conversation of, you know, all the content and people being hired by Netflix. Obviously, a guy like Dan Fogelman and people like that are going to get hired regardless. He's a writer as well as a producer. But is it going to affect content quality? Is it going to, like, what's going to... You know, when you say it's going to affect young writers, I can totally see that. But it, how is it going to affect the bigger picture, you think, that the, we, the audience, will notice? It's a really good time to be a writer from Canada. Ah. Um, I speak as a Canadian citizen when I say that. How are I'm, you a Canadian citizen? That's another broadcast. It took seven years. I wasn't born okay. in Canada, but I am subject uh, Trust me, I'm All a right. Canadian citizen. It's going to be a good time to be a writer from another country. Um, will it affect content? Invariably and not much is the answer to that question. But it, absolutely, positively, this is my concern. I think Stevens too, aside from our own selfish interest, there's going to be a bunch of people that don't get to do this. And, mm. th- and that's a terrible thing, not just for them, but for our audience and for our business. Because so it's going to transform when you lose the pe- industry? Well, r- look, r- writing staffs are already smaller. Um, uh, it's not going to affect things for a while because 
the shows that are in development are already in motion, so none of this is, is but if, if this thing is in fact protracted, um, it just means everyone has to work harder to get that material to the people who can uh, get that material on air. And the people who want something on air are going to have to work a little harder to find those scripts. Gosh, it, it almost sounds like there's a third entity being that has. I'm not kidding. I'm perfectly serious. But that a third entity has to be created between managers and agents that will do this service. I don't know how that would work. What would that be? They've created the Writers Guild has created this submission process. Oh, where please. You can, I know. It's so, oh, please. Um, <laughs> uh, but, look, you're just going to have to be more inventive about how you make sure your scripts get into the right hands. You have to work real... Look, I've always said this. Networking is a very important part of our mm. business. Mm. You know, um, it's not just what you know, but it's who you know. And you, you're, you're just going to have to... Writers are going to have to be more aggressive about peddling their own fares. Mm. Mm. We'll talk about the submission process off mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to wrap this up. Uh, thank you, as always, always Warren Lewis, always Stephen Gacho. Always a pleasure to, to be with you both. And, and uh, listen to you both. I look forward to part I'm six. To be what? I'm glad to be anywhere when you get to <laughs> uh, As always, folks, go to the HMCnetwork.com for more of the series Age of Distraction. You can listen to one through four and as well as this one. Five and six soon. Thanks. See ya. Thank <laughs> you.